Well, time to do some more on Malachi. We're going to do a little uh, fun demonstration today, so this will be a little out of the box, but I want to give you the setup for why we're going to do this little demonstration in a minute. We face challenges in living in our postmodern world with few absolutes. Modernism was the, for the last several hundred years, that's man-centered and, and logic and rational thought. And it's shifted to postmodern, which says, you know, there are other realities, like whatever you experience, your feelings and, and things. But the problem on that is that sometimes they also throw out, throw out the absolute. So everybody gets to decide what's true. So how do you know who's really or what is really pointing you in the right direction? So I want to do a little fun exercise. I'm going to grab the blue microphone here, and I'm going to have some folks I pre-selected to read some clues. So we have a treasure hidden in the sanctuary somewhere. And I've given four different people different clues to see if they can find the treasure based on their clue. So number one is, where's Lois? There you are. You're in the middle. You're going to make this hard on me to get a mic to you. So stand up, please. Can you pass that down to lovely Lois? It doesn't really matter which way you go since all routes will get you there. Okay, it doesn't? It is on. Okay, it doesn't matter where, which way you go since all routes will get you there. So, Lois, can you find the, the little tiny candy bar treat treasure reward based on that clue? Is any route will get you there? No clue. Okay. So, um, I think you're number two. Actually, it doesn't matter which order we do them in. There are no absolute rules for where the treasure might be. Just follow your heart. Okay, Tom. You want to... Where, where are you going to go? No clue. Okay. All the way back. Mr. Masuda will share our next clue. Finding the treasure doesn't matter. It's more about the journey. Thank you. That was great. Where, do, you, do you know where to... No, no. All right. We have one more clue. It's a little more complicated. Miss Mary... She's going to read this to us, and then we'll see if she can find the treasure. Go down the middle aisle and up the stairs. Turn left. If you find the treasure... If you don't find the treasure. If you don't find the treasure, admittedly... Keep searching. Keep searching. Look inside the organ stool and ask for help if you feel lost or discouraged. Your sister was definitely trying to help you there. So, okay, Mary, see if you can follow those directions, which are more objective and specific, aren't they? Kind of good we had that Perfect Ten song. This set this up perfect. So just lift up that little lip. See, she had to have a little help because we help each other, right? Found it. You found it. So hold it up for them. Show them. It's a small treasure because it's all I had. Because if I would have had a whole candy bar, it wouldn't have made it to Sunday morning. So Now, the point of that is to demonstrate these are different ways people tell you to find reality and truth, aren't they? 
follow your heart. There are many roads to truth. You know, it doesn't matter. It's about the journey. And it is about the journey, but there has to be some absolute, some objectives. And so in Malachi chapter 2, God has a message for the leaders and for the people, and he tells them, your compass is pointing in the, in the wrong direction. You're off course. So today we explore the question, where does your compass point? For you individually, think about it. What does your life direct people toward? What do your words say to people that would show them a way to go in life? So let's look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. Now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. So the point of these priests who are the leaders, spiritual leaders in the congregation, and they were to be the the intercessors between God and man. You needed this priest, and Hebrews uh, unpacks that a lot for you, that you got to have someone between you and God in the Old Testament. And the priest was that intercessor, that intermediary. And so what they told you and how they directed you was really important because mediating to God was a central role in Old Testament worship. However, these priests, as we found last week in the message about um, giving God your leftovers, half-hearted serving, they were disrespecting God, and they were leading people in the wrong direction. So how can people find God if they're following a leader whose compass is not even pointing the right way? It's like, you know, a magnetic pile of rock in the earth to the north rings your compass. What if you your compass is off? What if it isn't magnetized and it shows you to go west instead of north? You don't go in the right direction. And so, what happens? The New Testament then says there are no priests like an individual that every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ and believes in him is a priest. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, right? You all are priests. And so now you are God's compass. You are the person people look at to say, how do I know what God is like? That's why God left you on earth, to show the way to him. So now you are a compass. So as a believer, if people desperately need a compass that points to how to live a life for others instead of how to live a life for yourself or how to live a life for your tribe where we take care of people who are like us or even our immediate family, but we don't really have a heart for those who are out in the community who are different from us or immigrants or a different race or a different economic class. Often we don't think about that. We just think about our little group or just ourselves And that would be a wrong way for your compass to point because that's not what God is like, is it? So God warns them, I will send a curse. In this case, a curse is a consequence. A consequence that when we don't follow God's compass, God will let us wander off if we so choose because he gave us free will. He says, you can go off in that direction. And so if you have the consequences though, Whose fault will that be? See, when we turn away from following God, we experience natural consequences. 
right? I mean, if you go walk out with no coat on in the rain and and it's cold and wet and you try to work out in the yard and you get soaking wet, you're going to get cold. That's a consequence. And God doesn't stop and say, you're my follower. I'll keep you warm while you're soaking wet and it's 33 degrees. Well, spiritual and emotional life have consequences also, like we just sang with the children. There are consequences when we don't follow God's compass. But you know what's amazing is people still blame God when things go wrong, don't they? So we say, God, leave me alone. You know, just let me live my life. I want to be the captain of my own ship. So God says, okay, I will give you what you've asked. And then something goes wrong and go, how could you do this? You're a loving God. You left me all alone. But, but you asked. And honestly, for me, that's one of the simplest explanations of the very high, hard question, why does God allow suffering? Well, in a lot of cases, it's because he's giving us what we ask for, not imposing it on us. He's just taking his hands off and saying, fine, go your way. But when your life falls apart, don't blame me because I gave you what you wanted, freedom. Verse three, because of you, these priests, these leaders, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with that. Now, this is pretty graphic language. God figuratively says, I will take the insides of the animal, the entrails, and I will basically rub it on your face for all the consequences to the priests because they're the ones offering these animals. And when they did an animal sacrifice, they would like you do dressing a deer or an elk out in the field, you take out the the internal organs and you just kind of leave them there to be food for the other animals. But in the temple, you had to do something with these entrails because they were unclean in a ceremonial way. And so you just sacrificed the meat. You didn't burn the whole animal carcass. And so they took this, these entrails, they called offal, and they would take it outside the city gates to basically the dump which would become Gehenna, by the way, in the New Testament or the Greek word, and they would burn that there. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to take this unclean, gross stuff, and figuratively he's going to rub their faces in it, which means they will now be ceremonially defiled. They cannot really stand before God with this stuff all over them, figuratively speaking, And God will say, I will take you away outside the city gates where you will no longer be leading and influencing people the wrong way, just like you take the waste from the animal sacrifices. Pretty graphic picture, don't you think? But that's what God is saying. The consequences is you are going to be discarded from leading God's people. See, God takes his honor seriously. We kind of got that impression last week, didn't we? looking at God's honor, his, his reputation. And God expects his ambassadors to go out and be a good compass, pointing to him, pointing in the right direction, not pointing toward self-centeredness, not, or pointing toward a, make up your own reality. Whatever feels good, you get to do it. I mean, a lot of people think that that sounds like freedom, but it's not, it's slavery. It's a wrong direction. And God wants his ambassadors to point in the right direction direction, point to him. So number one on your outline, if you're following, losing God's compass brings consequences. 
There are consequences. I'm not telling you immediately a lightning bolt's going to come down from heaven, but God will allow you to reap the consequences of your own life choices. Years ago, a very wealthy man bribed his way into the royal orchestra in England so that he could perform in front of the king. Now, the problem was this guy couldn't play a note of music, but he gave them enough money to make it worth their while. So the conductor gave him a flute, and he held the flute up during the concerts and put his fingers and moved them around to kind of look like he was playing a flute, never blew any air into the flute, never played any music, but he appeared to be playing the music. And he continued to give them money. And for two years, this went on until a new conductor came. The new conductor wanted to audition every musician in the orchestra. And so this man, finally, when he stood before the new conductor, had to admit that he was only pretending to play, and he was a fake. You could say that was the day that he had to face the music. It may take a crisis in life for us to face the music. Many wear the label of Christian, but are we really playing God's music? Or are we looking like we're playing? God's music. We have the appearance of playing God's music, but does our life really play who God is and what he is like? God calls you to be truly playing his music. You say, well, what does that look like? What, what, what is this metaphor music that you're talking about? Look in the Beatitudes to start that Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. That's a hard one. You know, the meek, we kind of think, he just push them aside and trample them. They're too weak. But Jesus defines meekness as strength. And then he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and says things like, you know, great, you, you're following the perfect 10. You haven't committed adultery. But what about in your mind? You say, I haven't murdered anyone. But what about when you're so angry, you are cursing and condemning another human being? Because that's where murder starts in your head. And God sees it and knows you're guilty. If you want to play the music of God in your life, it's not enough just to say, okay, I didn't break the 10, but in my mind, I've been doing a whole bunch of other things. And so God says, then, you know, you're not really playing my music if in the depths of your life, it doesn't really show who I am. So where does your compass point? To Jesus, to this standard like in the Sermon on the Mount, or to another value that you're pursuing. A value that might be fine, like, you know, getting an education, uh, climbing in your career, keeping yourself fit. But maybe that becomes more important than playing God's music. And so how do we look further into this passage and say, okay, so how do I get my compass to point in the right direction? What does that look like? And here's what Malachi says in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi, who were the helpers of the priests, so the priests were the mediators, the Levites did a lot of like like deacons running around and taking care of all the, the pragmatic things in the temple. So he says that my covenant with Levi, that tribe, may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, 
And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and in awe and stood in awe of my name. So God is saying, in spite of all the stuff that Malachi has written in this verses and last week's verses, that God's saying, I want this relationship to continue. I don't want this to go in the direction where you have half-hearted worship, where you bring defective offerings that don't really show any devotion, that show no sacrifice and giving on your part. I want this relationship to continue because aside from, you know, why does God want all these things? It helps us. Do you see the benefits that he lists? It gives you life and peace. Your life is more fulfilled and contented when you're following God's compass than when you're following the compass for yourself because you'll never satisfy yourself. You can get your degree. You can get that promotion. You can get a bigger house, a nicer car, Um, whatever it is that you think will bring happiness and all of a sudden you find you get it, but you're not happy. Now you want something else. You want more success. You You want people to notice you more or some possession. It doesn't fulfill. But God says, my compass will show you a life that goes deep into your soul and fills up those empty spaces that kind of removes those desire to run after those other things so intensely. And at the core of God's call is reverence and awe, that honor idea like we talked about last week. To be in awe of God. You can't have a fulfilled life if you're living for yourself. And you will end up being a false compass by living for yourself because the people see that and it's no different. What's the difference between a Christian's life and a non-Christian's life? And they can't see a difference, so why bother? We're not being a compass. So let me ask you this morning, are reverence and awe of God at the core of your being? I want you to think about that. Is the reverence, revering, honoring God, living your life for him, is that the core that, excuse me, that drives you? Are your life values, your ethics, your morals, how you treat people, Are these things reflecting who Jesus Christ is? How you use your resources? I mentioned last week, your time, your talents, your treasure. Are these grounded in Jesus Christ as your compass? And people can look at your life and see something different. Verse six goes on. True instruction was in his mouth. This is the Levites and the priests. And nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth, men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. He is the representative of God in the Old Testament. Remember, you are now in that role. So what does God expect from these priests then and priests now for each of us? What does he expect of us? First, it says priests instruct others. So teaching is more than giving facts. When you sit and have a conversation with somebody and you speak about the Bible, you're teaching. But you aren't just giving facts, though those are important foundation to know the truth of Scripture. So you've got to be reading it and studying it at home before you have these conversations. But it's saying that it preserved knowledge because you lived it out. You told people, here's the truth and here's how you live it. 
and you explain. So your teaching, your sharing with people has application, not just a body of knowledge and truth. Although, again, that's an important starting point. So a priest spoke about instructing others. You understand the Bible and how its principles work in the world. And we don't just pick the parts we like. We look at the whole thing to see, how do I see the heart of God being expressed? And how do I explain that to people? So it's not enough just to know truth about God. You have to explain how to apply truth to everyday life. Well, then number two, that means that you have to live it, not just explain it, but live it. See, the old adage, people don't really want to know how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And so your role model, your life reflects the reality if you practice what you preach. That truth is often more caught than taught. So you're a role model. It says walking in peace and uprightness. So your life shows this morality, these ethics that you treat, treat people fairly, you deal honestly in your business, in, in your conversations. Like we said, saying, you don't tell lies, even part lies or lies that we think are innocent. And so a priest's life shows also they're content. They don't have to have the latest thing. They aren't always driving for something more, but their life shows that, like Paul said, no matter if I have a whole bunch or I only have a little bit, my life is content because it isn't based on the stuff or even on people's popularity. It's based on what God thinks. So we live out, we role model the principles. We instruct them with application, and we live them out and show people what they look like in our life. So how does that work for you? Would you say you are, you are a role model? What kind of a role model are you? And that includes admitting that you're not perfect. Sometimes we think as a role model we can't show any weakness, and then people think, well, it's just kind of unattainable. It might work for you, but I could never be that like that. You say, I have my struggles, and you're open about your struggles with with the people you have a relationship with. The key isn't that you present yourself as perfect. The key is that you show, when I stumble, when I slip, and when I get away from God, here's how he helps me and lifts me up. Here's how God heals me. And so we admit that we get off base sometimes. We get off course but we show this mixed up world the direction that we can go to follow God's compass even when we get off a few degrees and God brings us back on our course. So we're a role model. Thirdly, a priest has the responsibility to warn others about danger. When the people strayed from God's spiritual truth, they not only endanger themselves, but you endanger people around you. Again, the world says, what does it matter if it's not harming somebody else if I want to do this thing? But it does harm the people around you, your family who love you. See the consequences. The healthcare system for some people's choices that pay for the choices that they've made. And drug addiction is one of the highest expenses that our healthcare system endures for people. And for those who can't pay, they have public hospitals. We, somebody's paying. You do not live as an island. The choices that you make affect those around you. You could live as a hermit up in the woods, off the grid, and you still have consequences because the people who love you and know you are affected by your choices in life. So you can't say 
that I'm only harming myself and it's my choice. So priests warn people who stray. They talk them off of the edge of the cliff. And these wrong choices have ripples into the lives of those around them. So New Testament priests help people how they can discover God's truth and how to live for it in their own life. So you could warn people like the material possessions that don't fill up that empty space in your heart, like I mentioned. You could warn that friend who's open and honest with you and says, I'm thinking about having an affair. And you can talk about the destructiveness, how that affair will hurt you, how it will hurt your spouse, how it will hurt your kids, how it will hurt your friends. And sometimes we're called in to support people as priests whose lives have fallen apart. We're there to help them pick up the broken pieces of their life, which means a relationship, which means grace and mercy and compassion. And not just we share truth, but we also share the truth of grace and forgiveness. Priests are agents of healing. So they teach, they role model, and they warn. So following God's compass, number two on your outline, gives fulfillment. If we lose that compass, it brings consequences. But when we follow God's compass, it's going to fill up some empty space in your heart. Your life is, is going to be free from having to strive to always make up for that empty space, that sad spot in your heart. Following God's compass gives fulfillment. There was a little girl, and she came from a very, very poor family, but she had to go into the hospital. And when she was in in this hospital, they brought her a meal with this whole glass of milk. And so the nurse left the milk on on her tray and, and left the room and then came back later and that whole glass of milk was still there. And so the nurse asked her, she said, well, why didn't you drink your milk? And the little girl answered her and said, well, you didn't tell me how deep I could drink. See, what happened at home was they had one glass of milk and the brothers and sisters shared that glass of milk. And so each could only have a little. And this little girl didn't know that she could have the whole glass to herself. And so the nurse said, Drink it all. That whole glass is for you. You are here on earth to encourage people to drink the whole glass of God's spiritual blessings. To not just drink a little because that's, that's all you really think you deserve, but to drink the whole glass of God's spiritual blessing. Because you're God's compass of hope and truth and you're involved with people, I hope, in your circle of influence to bring them that, that hope and truth to say, you know, you don't have to live like you could. If you followed after God, he can answer some of these questions you're struggling with. He can help you with the struggles that you're having and give you the support you need. It doesn't mean he'll take them all away, but he can help you through them. So where does your compass point? So following God's compass gives fulfillment. And then Malachi 2.8 God says, but you, priests, have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. The spiritual leaders led people astray. They used their spiritual position and with these offerings, at least, and other stuff we're going to be looking at, like, you know, their giving and their divorce and such in future weeks is coming up. 
But they led people astray and just said, look, you know, just bring a little offering. It doesn't matter if it fits the law. It can be defective, you know, your crippled, diseased animal you can't sell in the market. Just give it to God, you know, like the butterball turkey last week. You know, it's 23 years old. Give it to the church. And they led people astray by taking God's law and having a dim view of it. And today... We just say, I get to do what I please. People think they're free. So instead of turning people back to God, Malachi says, you're causing them to stumble. And this word, of course, is in the New Testament. And the word stumble means that somebody watches you or listens to your teaching, and then they go and do what you're doing, and it's wrong. You've led them to either violate their conscience or do something God has said is wrong. And so when they look at, well, you're doing it, why can't I do it? You cause somebody to stumble because they they follow you. They repeat the action and it harms them. And so we can't just tell people, don't look at my life, just listen to my words. They need to see that our words and our actions are different from the world. So we aren't leading them astray. 1 Timothy 4.1, here's how... Timothy, or Paul tells Timothy to look at this principle. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Did you ever stop and think that some of the falsehoods and things that you see on TV or or hear in the media or people express that, that demons are whispering in their ear? You ever think that they, well, it is humanity, but demonic forces encourage this. One of my favorite books was the C.S. Lewis book, The Screwtape Letters, that was this fictional account of how a demon was trying to tempt a follower of Jesus. And so this teaching, do whatever you feel like, there aren't any consequences because you don't immediately see them, neither did Adam and Eve, by the way. That comes from Satan now just as much as it did in the garden. These are the teaching of demons, Timothy says. And people desperately need a true compass that says there are standards. There are absolutes. Those 10 that we sang about, they're a representative. They aren't all that there is, although lots and lots fits under them, doesn't it? But those are the 10 that kind of give an overview of things like coveting and harming another person, not being careful with the truth, not worshiping God, making God worship. I mean, I was thinking about this too in rules. You know, anybody remember the blue laws on Sundays? You see some of you are as old as me. This is where it's, I know this is going to be a shock to some of you. So, so catch a breath. Stores were not opened on Sundays. Can you imagine how society functioned? We starved on Sundays. Because, you know, we weren't smart enough to figure out to buy the food on Saturday. I mean, so it becomes absurd, doesn't it? And I had a guy, a friend in, in Michigan, that he couldn't work in his yard on Sunday because his neighbors took it seriously. Because they say, I'm offended that you are, are gardening in your yard. Well, you can decide if that was an unfair rule because God didn't say you couldn't work in your yard. He just said to honor him, worship him, and get some rest. you got to rest. Boy, do we desperately need that. You know that Sunday, I read somewhere, is the busiest shopping day of the week. I would have thought Saturday was, but, you know, how far we've gone away from God's compass. And we wonder why we're stressed. 
why there's some more mental illness problems in spite of having more doctors of, and counselors and all this stuff, but there's more stress because we don't follow God's compass and he's not going to come down and say, you have to stop doing all these things. He's, you made your choices. I left you my word to teach you. If you don't want to follow it, I'm not going to make you. So if we follow, say we follow Jesus and our compass is in the right direction and we gossip about somebody that we don't like, you know what we're doing? We're passing along an attitude of intolerance to the people around us. We're not showing God's grace. If our words are laced with judgment more than love, especially when you get involved in those people's lives who are messy or the kids that come here from broken families and, and we wonder why they're, they're struggling and they're not doing the things that we want, do we love them more or do we want to just get them to do exactly what we want and we judge them? When we do that, our compass may not be pointing to God. If we isolate from those who are not like us, then we're not reflecting what Jesus would do. Jesus went out among the sinners. The Pharisees said, he's a drunkard. You know, he's running around with the the people in these places he shouldn't be. He's going into the homes of sinners and tax collectors. He got out and got his hands involved in the messiness of the world. He didn't isolate himself. He sent his disciples out into the world. So when we say, I'm going to isolate and I don't want to get involved with my neighbor, what are we saying? How are we reflecting God? So where do you see your compass pointing in some of these hard things? So number three, a false compass leads others astray. A false compass leads others in the wrong direction. So Malachi says in verse nine of chapter two, so I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So God doesn't like false compasses. And what does the world call us? What is the most common thing you say? I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. But why are they saying this? Sometimes it's not fair, but maybe sometimes it is. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Because our lives don't reflect what we say, what we teach. They don't sense our love. They don't see, in many cases of Christians, lives that are any different from the world's. So we are despised and humiliated and we sometimes unfairly so, but maybe not always. Maybe some of our ineffectiveness in reaching our community is because our hearts aren't all that different than the people around us. Maybe our lives don't really have at their core the love of God driving us to be who we're supposed to be in our ethics and morals and in our compassion. Last story, a lost dog wandered into a man's yard. And so this is a wonderful dog and, and it was there a few days and it sure didn't take long before the kids, the boys and the family got attached to that dog. And they loved the dog and it was a wonderfully affectionate dog. And, and so soon um, there was a, a poster that came up on like on the telephone poles or, or whatever up to say lost dog. And it was identified by three white hairs in the tail of the dog. And this description fit the dog perfectly, especially the three hairs. And George, the man who owned the 
the house with the sons, he confessed. He said, in the presence of my three boys, we carefully separated the three white hairs in the dog's tail and cut them out. So the real owner discovers where his dog is. He's found a new home, and he comes to claim him. And the dog, of course, immediately recognizes his former master and is all excited and and responsive to this guy. And so the man was ready to take the dog back home with him. But George quickly spoke up and said, hey, didn't you say the dog would be known by three white hairs and his tail? And the owner couldn't find the three white hairs because they'd been cut out. And so he had to leave without the dog. George said later, we kept the dog, but I lost my three boys. I lost their respect. So his sons no longer had confidence that what their father professed was really true about honesty. His compass pointed his sons in the wrong direction. So as I close, I want to ask, which option, and it's on your outline if you're following, which option best describes where you are in your relationship with God? Are you a fully devoted New Testament priest willing to be a compass in the lives of others? Maybe you're a partially involved follower, but you're not sure that you really want to be a compass. You don't like all that pressure. Maybe your relationship with God is more about the blessings and benefits that you receive more than the outreach and the giving and sharing with others. Or maybe you're here and you're searching for a compass in your life and you're really wondering, is God, is Jesus Christ the compass, the real thing? How do I know if it's real? And you're searching. Well, good. Keep searching. To begin a relationship with God as you search doesn't require that you get your life all set up and pile up your good deeds to see how high you can get them and then maybe God will accept you. God said, Jesus Christ already did that for you. He died on a cross. So you don't have to work your way to heaven because you can't. It won't work. You won't be good enough to get there, no matter how good you are. But Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. He died, and all of God's punishment and penalty for sin was placed on him. And all you have to do is receive that gift by trusting in him, and him being God dying for your sins. Or maybe you are a disciple and you want to live as a committed disciple. Becoming a disciple, becoming a follower, a convert to Jesus is free. It doesn't cost you anything. To follow him is costly. You get there free, but now following him is a hard thing. I remember long ago when I was a student in Campus Crusade, the crusade leader says, gosh, I wish God would have given us a way that we could live the spiritual life that was easier. You know, just do this and this and this and this. And then I could check off the boxes, but I have to live it by trusting God in all these areas of my life. And it's so hard. It's just easier to live it with rules than it is to live it with a relationship, isn't it? Being a disciple is costly because it means you give all that you are, your whole life, everything that you own, all of your gifts, your talents, your times, as a disciple, they are God's. And you just listen and follow him and how he wants you to use them. It requires a big commitment. So if you want to make that choice to be a follower of Jesus, then all you got to do is pray a prayer of faith and ask him to come into your life and you accept his offering for you. But 
don't stop there. There's lots of people who say they're converts, but how many are really following with their whole heart? Because that's what Malachi's talking about with our compass. So where does your compass point? Let's pray. Lord, that compass in our life, we are image bearers of God. We are created in the image of God. But we also have sinned because we all are imperfect. We've all fallen away. We all, all of us, none of us seek God completely with our own hearts. So we come to you and say, God, show us how to live the kind of life that Jesus showed us that is a relation-based life, not a rule-based life or not a, a deed and come to church and give your money and serve and, and do these things and then have a quiet time every day. And that doesn't automatically make us a devoted follower, Lord. It just makes us people who might be busy. Show us how to be complete followers of you and those things flow out of that relationship. They don't create the relationship. And for anyone here who's searching for that compass, I pray you would speak into their heart. God, reveal yourself to them to show that you are real in the person of Jesus Christ, that all they have to do is reach out and put their faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, to ask him into their heart. And they can begin that spiritual journey, which even though it's costly, even though it's hard, Lord, the fulfillment, the freedom from being driven by all these worldly forces is worth it. We pray these things in Jesus' name.